welcome to the To Our Gathered Catholic Podcast with Father Rob Kroll and me, Jim Fellows. Happy Easter, Father Rob. Hey, Jim. Happy Easter to you. Hope that you uh, had a blessed Easter in Triduum last weekend. And uh, yeah, the Lord is risen. Yeah. Hallelujah. It's a, it's a little... I mean, we're still suffering this whole plague thing. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, for years, I would be at Mass um, during all of Holy Week and playing for the entire Triduum. And uh, I mean, we basically sleep there, and it's, that's just not even possible this year. So that, that, it was a little bittersweet for me. Yeah, no, I hear you. We we had a good turnout at the parish where I help out, but still, people are masked, and uh, there's only a organist and and a cantor or a few cantors. So um, no hymnals yet in the pews, and yeah, we're still we're still kind of limping along. But hopefully, uh, next year's Easter we'll be able to. Even before then, of course, we'll be able to uh, return to the normal normalcy of things. But anyway, when did we record our last podcast? I can't remember. Did we record it before Palm Sunday? Um, I think it was before Palm Sunday. Yep. So Palm Sunday, and just because I like to brag about this, <laughs> um, Palm Sunday, I go to mass, and um, they have overflow because you know you can only have nine people in the church at any time. <laughs> Yep. And so we're all down in the basketball court, and there's a couple of uh, screens up there, and that it starts filling up really quick. And the sound doesn't isn't on; it's just silence. Ah. So, and then, depending uh, on the homilist, that could be a good thing. But you know. it could be a good thing. <laughs> but but there was some frustration in the congregation, and I understand that. And the people, God bless the people who are trying to run the soundboard, but. Usually, people who are brought in to volunteer on a soundboard know how to spell soundboard, but that's <laughs> as far well. as their expertise goes. Mm-hmm. So, and it's like I don't want to step in because I know more about soundboards than the average Joe. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, oh, there's just not nobody doesn't listen. So I pulled out my my cell phone. I found the live stream on my cell phone, mm-hmm. and I turned the volume to max. Yeah, and then. Everybody could hear. Wow. I basically saved Palm Sunday. You you should wear a little cape and have, you know, some kind of superhero. Uh, That's great. I would think there's like a medal or something involved. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, where they could cast something. (laughs) Well done. Well done. Thank you. I was very excited. You should have have been able to take home two palms on that day. You would think yeah. like there'd be some, somebody would make a cross for me out of the palms. That's right. Uh, I've never known how to do that. <laughs> I've always been very envious of the small children that were able to make these lovely little I crosses know. out right. of the blessed palms. I know they're little nimble fingers, you know. Oh well. So, anyway, um, you had a good Easter. It's it's going so good so far. So far, so good. We're, we're kind of on a break here, so a lot of the seminarians are away, uh, including today, because uh, the break ends uh, tomorrow morning when they have to go back to school. So uh, yeah, some of them went back to their respective dioceses, and others are still with their families. Um, but uh, they were all helping out at parishes uh, over the Triduum, and. Um, We'll, I'm sure I'll hear all about it when they get back tomorrow or tonight. How was um, how was taking that elevator finally? 
That must have just been a It joy. was really nice, I have to admit. I have to admit. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to take the stairs <laughs> often. Maybe not every time, but quite well, often for my health. Really? But yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You just climbed on that elevator and you were like, oh, Otis! I, I brought a little cot elevator. inside and kind of <laughs> slept in there. It was great, yeah. <laughs> Well, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Didn't you were you were uh, you were good about that all all through Lent? I, I was actually, yeah. No, there it, was it, there was no elevator riding during Lent. No, didn't cheat on the elevator thing. No, some of my other resolutions may not have been. I might not have been as faithful to them, but um, the elevator thing, I was, I was quite, uh, I honored it. So, yeah, it was good. It was good, good. I think I did better with my uh, Lenten resol- resolutions this year than I have in years oh, past. So nice. I attribute that entirely to your influence in my life. Father. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you know, I get to talk to you once a week, and then sometimes we get and we got to hang out. Yeah, that's true. It was very good to see you. That's why. That's why we had to record before Palm Sunday because I came up to preach at a Monterville retreat, and then that's right. You and I and. And then uh, Mark and Molly Druffner, who were on a previous yeah. podcast, we got together and had a wonderful we're evening. Huge fans, yes, mm-hmm. it was a wonderful evening. We we had uh, we had uh, another uh, uh, pulled pork, yes, um, that which uh, you spent which... hours, uh, <laughs> yeah. almost days preparing. It was... <laughs> it... Can I share that story? Is that bad? No, I kind of feel like I want to share the story. Go for so, it. So, so uh, the week before. Prior to us uh, recording our last podcast, um, I'm telling Father Rob about how I'm 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 smoking a pork butt, and that it was like the most amazing pork butt, and then it ever come. Out. I don't know what I did with this particular <laughs> pork butt, but then I'm like, this is yeah, it's like 16 hours to smoke this thing, but it's um, like amazing. And literally at four in the morning after the first pork butt, I'm pulling the pork apart. And the nine-pound pork butt turned into an eight-pound pork butt because I was <laughs> shoveling so much of it in my mouth <laughs> as I was pulling it apart. <laughs> so I share this with Father Rob, and he's like, well, I'm coming up next weekend. Could, could you make one for me? And I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> so I go upstairs, and God bless my wife. I tell her the story. We're still like, Packing away the pork butt that we just made. <laughs> and I said, well, Father Rob kind of wants to get us home. She's like, well, you better go to the butcher then. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, in all fairness, to- I think I asked before I knew it took you 18 hours or whatever, but... Um, you may have uh, not heard the 16 hours. And you know what? Wouldn't have mattered. I was fine with it. So we were able to enjoy pork butt two weekends in a row. Yeah. And don't and act like fine. it's all selfless. You know, you you were able to enjoy some too. It's not like oh no, it's not no, like no, it was just fine. for me. I, no, I know, no, I know. That's the quickest turnaround I've had. Two. <laughs> <laughs> that was eighteen pounds of meat in a week. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And all worth it. it I would do it again. You boy. came up next weekend. And you said, you know, that pork butt was pretty good. That I'd be was out there smoking both it. Both tender and tasty. So yes, well done. Thank you. All right, enough about how wonderful I am. Let's uh, move on to more important <laughs> things. Of, all right. Um, <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, of me? <laughs> enough of me talking about me. What do you think about me? Um, yeah, so what are we going to talk about today, Jim? I, I hardly ever get to ask you that question to launch our topic. 
Well, I thought we. I thought the topic was how wonderful I am. Ah, no, well, that's not it. This might be a very brief podcast today. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> Good night. That's right. Eight <laughs> minutes, eight and a half minutes. Wow. Um, today, um, with uh, with Holy Week and uh, with Easter uh, here, Good Friday was the start of the uh, Divine Mercy Novena. Mm-hmm. And you uh, quite uh, aptly decided that it would probably be a good time for us to talk about Saint Faustina, and what is up with this Divine Mercy thing, and who is this saint, and how did she become so saintly? Right, because a week from Easter, the second, the, the week. The, let me say that again. Divine Mercy Sunday. Divine Mercy Sunday is this is the second Sunday of Easter. Yeah, it's officially known now as Divine Mercy Sunday. So. Um, yeah, we thought with that coming up and with the popularity of St. Faustina and this whole Divine Mercy devotion that we would dedicate a, do- a podcast to uh, helping people understand kind of the origin and the meaning of all this. So, Sure. Yeah. So let's, uh, why don't we start off with a brief, because uh, we never really kind of look at, well, other people probably do. I never look at like the biography, the mm-hmm. history of the actual person right. who is now a saint that we can pray to. Yep. Yeah. Maybe that would be a good thing. I think so. I think so. Even though she's very popular and a lot of people may already know something about her, um, it's always good to uh, kind of explore a person's background and helps us to understand who they are and why they are a saint. Um, so St. Faustina is, uh, is somebody that was uh, born in the very early part of the 20th century, 1905, and she only lived to the age of 33, so she died in 1938, kind of on the eve of World War One, which is uh, also significant when it comes to this whole Divine Mercy thing. You know, one of the things, Jim, just kind of as a parenthesis, is it seems like the really, really holy people seem to die very young, you know? It's like That's it's true. like Billy Joel or Billy Joel's song, you know, Only the Good Die Young. Um, think about Therese, you know, age 24, mm-hmm. and you got um, Pier Giorgio Frassati. And anyway, now we have uh, St. Faustina, who is only 33 years old, but be that well, as it may. What are you saying about Mother Teresa? <laughs> well, right, yeah, I know, we can't just, or Padre Pio, or St. <laughs> John Paul Padre II. Pio. Right, right, okay. It's not, it does, it's not universal. And you and I are well past the age of 33, and look at how holy we are. We are nowhere near <laughs> as holy as any of these people no, we just listed. No, we're just full of holes. Um, but, but you're right. In a lot of cases, the truly holy people have a tendency to yeah. accept, um, and, 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 and St. Faustina, um, accepted a, a huge amount of, uh, you know, ailments yeah. that she had to deal with yeah, yeah. that were life-threatening. Right. Yeah, she ultimately died of uh, tuberculosis, but it was something that, yeah. that kind of uh, she battled for a few years at the end. So, yeah, and especially, again, at that at that time in history, it, you know, it would have been much more painful probably because they didn't have all the medications and things that help us today. So, um Anyway, she came from, well, we, we would say, I guess, today a large family, 10 children. She's the third of 10 children. I mean, at that time, uh, devout Catholic families like hers, that would have been maybe pretty normal. Um, and her family was not wealthy. Uh, they were very devout, but they were quite poor. Her father was a, a peasant and did some carpentry work. Um, but, uh, you know, from, from what we know, a, a devout and loving family, um, she actually felt a call to religious life at a very young age, the age of seven. Uh, she was not very, she didn't have a lot of formal education. 
they say that she had about three or four years of, of school. And after that time, she wanted to enter the convent, but her parents wouldn't let her, so they refused. Um, so at the age of 16, she uh, worked as a housekeeper for a time. And then uh, a few years later, at the age of 19, she had uh, a vision uh, of, of Jesus in suffering, Jesus, uh, the suffering Jesus, while she actually was attending some kind of a social function. And, um, and right after that dance that she was attending, she went to a cathedral in the town of Lodz, L-O-D-Z, in Poland, um, and, uh, and Jesus apparently instructed her in that cathedral to, to depart her home uh, right away and to go to Warsaw and enter a convent. So she did that. So it's, it's, it's a, a small caveat so that yeah, we yeah. don't unintentionally paint her parents as bad people. Um, they were so poor, they needed their older children to actually work to bring money in yes. um, so that they could eat. Correct. And they could survive. Correct. So when yeah. when she declared that she really wanted to join the convent, they were like, "No, yeah, we need you. We here. need you to join your brothers and sisters to try to eke out anything to keep your younger brothers and sisters um, fed." So yeah, thanks for clarifying uh, that because obviously, if they're a devout family, you'd think they'd be ecstatic about her. Uh, well, sure. Yeah, and they, and they were later. They were very supportive later. But you're right. At the time, their uh, denial or refusal was based on, like you said, the need just to kind of get get bread on the table. This is this is what we're barely making by, and this is one less person that's going to help us. Right. Out. We got we need you to postpone this. For right. A while. Right. Yep. Yeah. Good point. So anyway, she kind of you know having received this vision from Jesus, uh, she basically followed immediately his instruction. She she got on a train, uh, took it the eighty five miles to Warsaw. She knew nobody there, so she actually got off the train. All she had was the dress that she was wearing, so really no uh, personal belongings. And uh, somebody directed her to a, a pious woman, um, you know, because she needed to stay somewhere that night and. Um, so she stayed with that woman, and then eventually, after being turned down at several convents uh, because of her poverty, really, um, she was welcomed by the Mother Superior of a particular congregation. Uh, it's the Congregation of the Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy, actually. So the, right. the name Mercy is found in their, in their uh, congregation's title. Um, now, they accepted her, but there was kind of like one condition, and that's, and that's that she could afford her religious habit. So she worked as a housemaid to earn some money uh, to be able to pay for that. And then in 1926, at the young age of 20, she uh, was clothed in her habit, and she took at that time her religious name. Um, she was born Helena Kowalska, but she took the name of Sister Maria Faustina of the Blessed Sacrament. Um, and, and they think that maybe the Faustina was named after St. Faustus, who was an early uh, Christian martyr. Um, but anyway, um, then she was in the novitiate for a couple of years, and so she took her first vows in 1928. So that's only 10 years before her death. Um, after she was vowed, she spent some months serving as a cook at one of their convents in Vilnius, uh, which at that time was in Poland. Now it's the capital of Lithuania. Um, and then she was transferred in 1930, May of 1930, to another town of Plock. And uh, that's where her tuberculosis first appeared, the early mm. signs of it. 
Um, and then it was in 1931 that she had this divine mercy image revealed to her in a vision. And, and uh, so that, that was a huge moment for her personally. And of course, something, yeah. something to add in here, if you don't mind me yeah, throwing anytime, this in here. Anytime, jump when, in. When she, <laughs> <laughs> this is our mutual. We're both doing this podcast. You don't That's have to ask my permission. <laughs> I, I've been raising my hand for like 10 minutes. <laughs> right, yeah. and, Given that I can't and see you, you that's not going to be to very, call on me. Right, right, right. It's so infuriating. <laughs> um, when she uh, was finally accepted into uh, uh, Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy, um, and, and she took on a spiritual director, mm-hmm. and I can't remember the name of the priest that uh, she was seeing, but she, you know, as you do with your spiritual directors, you share all the stuff that may sound insane. Like I had a vision of Jesus who told me to leave my home and go and find and and then and and move to this town and and find a convent. And his first act, his first request from her was for her to be psychologically tested. Right. Right. Which was really in its infancy back then. Yep. And when, because he wanted to make sure she wasn't insane. And then when the doctors came back and said, nope, she is of lucid mind, everything is fine, then he uh, believed everything that came out of her mouth after that. Yep, yep. He, he believed in her visions. He believed in what she was saying. Um, but, but what an interesting step, and, right. and, and what a good step by the, the priest to, you know, just to, to make sure that you're not enabling uh, some sort of a delusional uh, schizophrenic right. episode. right. No, that's so. I just I found that very very yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. I agree, and I think uh, you know even today we, those of us that become uh, priests, whether we're religious priests or enter a diocesan seminary, you know, there's a kind of a very uh, thorough battery of psychological tests that one undergoes. You know, just to try to uh, see if there are some underlying issues that need need to be addressed even before a person begins that path towards priesthood or, or consecrated life. And yeah, the man uh, the man you're talking about is Father Michael, Sop- I think it's Sopako or Sopoko. Thank you. Yeah, he's, yeah. Uh, these, some of these Polish names I'm not quite sure how to pronounce. Yeah, we're going to We're, gonna we're probably going to butcher guys. them, yeah. But, but <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, so then she takes her final vows in 1933. Um, so she's, she's now a fully vowed sister. Uh, she goes to Vilnius, works as a gardener, um, and that's where this Father Sopako meets her, becomes her confessor, um, and, he, and he's really a big supporter of her throughout the rest of her life. Like you said, once she passes that battery of exams, and he just puts a lot of trust in her, uh, in, in the, the fact that these visions, these mystical experiences are actually uh, real and not delusions. Um, in 1934, she... Um, receives, uh, or I'm sorry, in 31, she had received the Divine Mercy image, like as a vision. <coughs> Excuse me. Then in 1934, the first uh, image of the Divine Mercy is painted. Um, I'm not going to even attempt the name of the uh, the Polish painter who, his first name is Eugene, but anyway, he uh, paints this image, and um, and that's one of the images that has now become quite well known around the world. Um just as a little little side note, there's there's three different uh, official kind of ecclesial ecclesiastically approved uh, images that are that are now of, you know available for the faithful to uh, to have and to venerate. Um, she actually, it's interesting, you know, she at one point uh, after after this image is painted, 
by this Polish painter. She uh, has a plan to leave her religious order and to found a new contemplative order that would be more fully devoted to the divine mercy. Um, she tells that to her religious superiors, and she even begins to um, kind of make some notes about this new order and what their constitutions might be. But uh, her her superiors just kind of, kind of transferred her to a new a new uh, city, a new place, and uh, she never did actually found a new order. She stayed with with this same congregation of our sisters of Our Lady of Mercy. And um, anyway, so this is now we're getting into 1936, and she's becoming increasingly... Right, but let's... Yeah, yeah. We, I'm, gonna, I'm raising my hand again. Oh, sorry. The thing that strikes me every time that we, we really start studying the saints, and we're going to cover this when we're talking about Mother Teresa as well, is that these people who there's just no doubt, like after the fact, there's no doubt of the holiness... That that uh, that encompasses them. Mm-hmm. We're also a huge pain in the butt to people around them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they often could be. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the the fact that she's making. I mean, the, the reading between the lines of um, what was happening within her convent and how she was making a request, and they denied the request, but they kind of shuffled her off yeah. on her own way, is clearly like she was she was. Annoying somebody out probably, there. Probably, probably. Which, yeah. when we talk about Mother Teresa, like it's the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Like she was, she was a holy, holy, blessed woman, and a huge pain in the butt <laughs> to her superiors mm-hmm. sometimes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think that I find that no, that's that's really good. And right along with that too, I would make this comment because uh, they, I, in my research about Faustina, they mentioned this that um, although she. We now know that she is a great mystic, and she was having all of these visions, um, and so her her interior life was, you know, much richer and uh, kind of more very different from most of us. At the same time, externally, she appeared to you know her sisters and other people as a fairly normal person. You know, I mean, she's she remained natural. Uh, she had a kindness. She she loved the poor. And so my point being this, that um, sometimes we think about these great mystics and saints, saints as people that must have been, like, everybody must have noticed about everybody. them that they were mystics, and that, and also that they might have been very, very bizarre and odd. And certainly we do have in our Catholic tradition saints that were bizarre and odd. But, I mean, I think Faustina was somebody that combined this uh, incredibly deep and profound mystical life with a fairly um, normal uh, external appearance and, and life. And, and so, um, you know, we often don't know what's going on inside a person's soul until, you know, later on when we find all these writings of theirs or, or something is made more, you know, visible about them. So anyway, where were we? I guess we're, we're getting towards the end of her life. You know, she's getting increasingly sick in 1936. Um, on Good Friday of 1937, she gets a message about this novena of divine mercy that you opened the podcast uh, mentioning. So yeah. that's another, you know, along with the image, you've got this novena. Um, then later in 1937, uh, while these visions are intensifying, her health is is worsening, and she's she's put then in 1938. She ends up going to some kind of a uh, they call it a sanatorium. It sounds you know kind of horrible, but um, Basically a place, I guess we might call it a hospice, you know, it's a place that she could be cared for. 
and and she dies in October, October fifth of nineteen thirty eight, uh, in Krakow. So, um, yeah. So again, right at the eve of of World War One. In fact, um, she has a vision about a a great and terrible war that is about to happen, and uh, she dies on the brink of that. Um, and then this devotion kind of takes off, and we can talk more about you know what what happens there, but. Just, just jumping ahead, maybe towards uh, her beatification and canonization. You know, do you want? Oh, sure. you, why don't you say something about that? So the the two to be beatified and then to be canonized, um, there has there has to be miracles that can be associated with um, asking that saint for help or asking that person for help before they become recognized publicly as a right. saint. And then a miracle actually occurring from that. The, the first one with, uh, with, uh, um, sister Faustina or the saint Faustina, um, happened relatively recently. Um, the first one is attributed. The first miracle is attributed to a woman named Maureen Digan or Digan. Mm-hmm. Um, she uh, was struck down with a very, uh, very serious and slowly progressive uh, but terminal disease called lymphedema. Dema, mm. lymphedema. lymphedema, I think. Yeah, I think that's correct. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And she uh, caught this uh, after the age of fifteen. Mm. If you don't catch this, I think it just develops. Yeah. Um, it doesn't respond to medication. Does not go into uh, remission. Isn't it, Isn't this it's, where it's, I think the body, the body, just likes like body limbs and things swell up with fluid right because the body can't process somehow doesn't process the fluids or something so i think that's what it does it, that sounds about right yeah well and as the name lymph lymphedema i guess it's something with the lymph system and and it's right. this retention of fluid but yeah it sounds it sounds yucky so. right well over the next over the next 10 years um marine and deegan had um over 50 operations um to no avail and um the uh, her and in, in, in desperation, um, she and her husband were uh, watching a film on the Divine Mercy in the hospital, and he becomes convinced that the healing powers of Saint Faustina, her sister Faustina at that time, um, is what's necessary. So they convince her to go to the tomb of Sister Faustina mm-hmm. in Poland, and she went there with her husband and their son and their priest. And uh, uh, they went. They went to the shrine. You went there too, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I went there uh, when when the World Youth Day was there uh, in Krakow in uh, 2016, and I accompanied a group of high school students from Creighton Prep. So yeah, we we made a, a pilgrimage there as well. So um, at, during this trip, uh, uh, Marine goes to confession for the first time. Since I'm guessing her first confession, mm, mm-hmm. um, it was that uh, says when she was a young girl. So I'm going to go with she probably just had one. Probably that. right. And then um, she's at the tomb and she says, "Okay, Faustina, I came a long way. Now do something." Mm. And then she claims that she heard uh, Sister Faustina say, "If you ask for my help, I will give it to you." Mm-hmm. And she thought she was losing her mind, but then all of the pain seemed to drain out of her body and her swollen leg which was due to be amputated shortly, mm-hmm. it, it went back to normal size. When she went back to the U.S., she was examined by five independent doctors and uh, who all came to the same conclusion, she had been completely healed. Mm, yeah, wow. 
So that was Praise the first God. miracle. Yep. That was in 1983, or 1981, excuse me. Yep, yep. That was the first miracle that was attributed to her. Um, in 1995, um, on the feast day of uh, uh, St. Faustina, Father Ron, when was she canonized? So she was canonized on April 30th of 2000. So the, that, uh, right. yeah. But her feast day was still her feast day. But Father Ron yeah. Pidel and some friends gathered uh, to pray at the Holy Rosary Church, um, which is also the shrine for the Divine Mercy, after a time of prayer for the healing of his heart condition um, through the St. Uh, Faustina's intercession. Father Ron venerated a relic of uh, Sister Faustina and collapsed. He felt paralyzed, but he was completely at peace. Mm. A subsequent visit to his cardiologist showed that his heart had been completely healed. Wow. And, and what, what was, was the condition? Do you remember what the condition? Did it say what the condition was with his heart? I wonder what that would have been. They don't really mention <clears throat> okay. that. Okay. Um, but in the article that I'd read earlier, this was something that was going to kill him within the next couple of years. Oh, wow. And that yeah. it was, it was, it was, uh, it wasn't treatable. Mm-hmm. Um, it was another impossible miracle. Yep. Um, and both of these, you can, even, even the biggest naysayers would have a hard time being like, well, you know, that's just coincidence. Right. Yeah. With either of these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? No, it's true. And, and you know, that, that you know, I, I think, again, some of our listeners may know this, but in general, uh, the church is very, actually very, very, what do we, you use the word cautious about, about these miracles. You know, they don't, uh, even though, you know, we may think that, oh, they're trying to get all these people to be canonized, so they're going to, like, you know, do a wink and a nod when it comes to some of these uh, miracles. No, um, they they go through a, a very thorough vetting, and they, they always have, like, athe- atheist or at least non-believing doctors who uh, are involved in the, you know, examination of the patient and all of that. So um, it's very, very rigorous. I mean, even at Lourdes, where, you know, gazillions of people come for healing, and many people say they've been miraculously healed. I mean, the, the percentage that they've approved is very small. So I, I just throw that out because... Uh, um, whether it's uh, Maureen Digman or the, or Father Ron, you know, they're, yeah, their 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 claims to be cured miraculously would have been very thoroughly investigated, right? And 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 nobody's saying that the ones that have been rejected that these people aren't saints now, right? Right, and and they, and, they could very well be saints, but the, the right. church is not going to recognize them. That's it as saints. That's right. Um, That's officially. Right. And, and they're not even necessarily making a negative pronouncement on the miracle. They're not saying, oh, right. no, this is definitely not a miracle. They're just saying, well, there isn't quite enough evidence or there, this could have been possibly accomplished through a natural means. So they're just, they, they always want to be extra cautious, you know, about that. So, Right. Well, yeah, because you know, once, once you're yeah, cause the credibility declared a saint, yeah. you're not going to be yeah. undeclared a saint no, later on. No, right. it's, uh, it's, you're in the club, and that's it. <laughs> exactly. And if there's you find out some scandalous things about that particular person, then it looks poorly, it reflects poorly on the church. Right, right. So, um, but yeah, so that's a that's a lovely caveat. Anyway, um, so those are the miracles that were mm-hmm. attributed to uh, that, and then um, uh, Father John Paul II uh, uh, canonized her mm-hmm. in what two thousand? Two thousand. Yep. In fact, I think it was, uh, April 30th of that year would have been the Divine Mercy Sunday. So, um, so history of the church. This is like you know last week stuff. Yeah, yeah, right. This is really, really, Very really recent. recent. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. 
Yeah, so that's something about her life and, and then her beatification and canonization. Uh, maybe to talk a little bit about, you know, her mission, kind of like how God has used her for the church. Um, I mean, she's known, <clears throat> really, her title. If there's one title that people give to, <clears throat> excuse me, Sister uh, St. Faustina, it's um, she's the apostle or the secretary of God's mercy. So, right. you know, everything that she was about was really promoting um, the this reality that, you know, God is mercy itself. And uh, it's interesting because I haven't read the entire diary of hers. It's quite lengthy, but I've read uh, various, you know, excerpts from it. And in some parts of the diary, it can get pretty kind of dar- dire and dark. Um, but uh, mostly the theme of that diary is, you know, how merciful God is and how much he wants to share this mercy with the world. And mm-hmm. I do think that the timing was significant that this um, saint was raised up uh, at a time when the world was about to enter into these horrible world wars. And then, of course, we've seen also with Hitler and Stalin, we've seen also m- people like Mao and other dictators that have, you know, in the 20th century especially just devastated whole populations. So I think this message of di- divine mercy is always relevant. It's always needed, but it it was maybe given, she was kind of the megaphone for it at a time when the world was... Uh, moving into a, a, a very turbulent and hateful time, really. Um, and her credentials, mm-hmm. is what it, these are the things that, that really uh, impress me. Yeah. Um, she's, uh, she's completely uneducated. Right. She's uh, been uh, in poverty mm-hmm. the length of her entire life. She, I mean, she was doing menial tasks right. for the for for the convent right. when she first started. Mm-hmm. She was just cooking and cleaning um, for the other sisters, and, and through her novitiate, mm-hmm. um, she became uh, when she became a, 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 her took her final vows. Um, and she went and she was gardening. Right, like this isn't. Yeah, this is yeah. This is humble stuff here. Right, and then Christ turns to her, and then um, he, he said, and then she she quotes him as saying, "I sent prophets wielding thunderbolts to my people. Today I'm sending you with my mercy to the people of the whole world. Mm-hmm. I do not want to punish a, um, aching mankind, but I desire to heal it, pressing it into my merciful heart." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and he yeah. could have gone to anybody. Right. Could have gone to the Pope. Could have gone to. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being educated. By the way, I'm not. We have very, very learned scholars mm-hmm, in our church, mm-hmm. but I'm fascinated every time that Christ decides to choose kind um, of the nobodies of the world. You know, the, the absolute nobodies mm-hmm. of the world. Yeah, yeah. And that, uh, and then uh, 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 Sister Faustina could have gone into oblivion without you know nobody knowing who she was. Right. Mm-hmm. Under under normal circumstances, but then Christ comes along, taps her on the shoulder, and mm-hmm. says, "You're going to have a lot of pain, but you're going to do something wonderful for the world." Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's right. He does. I mean, so that's so consistent in our church. Uh, uh, not always, but very often. Yeah, the great saints come from very humble and kind of hidden backgrounds, and it's you know it's a very Pauline theme, isn't it? About how God chooses the lowly and you know um, kind of shames the powerful and all that. So, um, yeah, I think it has. It's not like he hasn't chosen the, the educated. Sure. No, no, right. That's absolutely the case. But, but, but what it, what it clearly indicates 
is that if you don't have the opportunity to go and study theology and study church history and do all these things, if you don't have that opportunity, you have no less of an opportunity to be holy right. than those people that have. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and who's to say that maybe for her, the very fact that she was poor and from a very humble background, that that, that just made her more disposed. You know, her ego wasn't as inflated, and she was somehow more open to uh, God's message to her. And, and it does highlight that it is all God's doing, right? I mean, we, right. you know, it's not about us. And, and so, yeah, and then again, it's not that she didn't have certain natural gifts. She did, but, but she realized more than anybody else that it was all God's grace that, that affected this. You know, just as we're talking about this, too, I mean, just it might be interesting just as a thought experiment or something to to think about what you know, what would it be like for us to be tapped on the shoulder, as you eloquently put it, you know, to be like, what if Jesus were to appear to us in some hour of prayer that we were doing in our home or our, or a church, and basically, you know, revealed himself in a very explicit and powerful way, and then invited us to do something that, you know, to us might seem very daunting and heroic, uh, might fill us with a lot of fear. But uh, Faustina trusted, and, and she just kept plugging along and, and had to, you know, face, like you were saying before, some opposition probably from her superiors and other people who might not have believed her. You know, I mean, when she was sent to the uh, psychiatrist to get tested by Father Sopako, you know, she might have been very maybe discouraged at that point. Like, doesn't anybody believe me? Do they think I'm just crazy? Maybe I am crazy, you know? My point being that... Um, you know, we, yeah, we don't know how we'd react, but it might. It, it, she had to face a lot of, a lot of barriers and, and overcome them. So, um, well, should we talk maybe a little bit about kind of what she saw as her mission? Uh, yeah, yeah. So you know, Jesus. I mean, as as is true with all these great saints who have these visions, it's not just for them. It is for their own holiness, but it's also, you know, as, as we said, she's a, an apostle or a secretary of God's mercy to the world now. So one of the tasks that she understood her mission to be was to really remind the world of the truth of this faith, you know, very fundamental faith teaching, uh, obviously running throughout the entire Bible, that, you know, God uh, is mercy itself, and that his merciful love is extended to every single human being on earth, and that's really important for people to know, you know, and it's not restricted to Catholics or Christians either. So she's wanting to kind of let that truth of God's mercy shine out more more in a dark world. That's one of her, you know, kind of fundamental tasks. Another mission or task that she's given is, is she's asked to propagate several new forms of devotion, you know. We talk about other devotions like, you know, the rosary, um, and, you know, other uh, sacred heart devotion, you know, um, these things don't just spring up out of nowhere. They're, they're given by God to particular people to kind of um, propagate. And so the Divine Mercy devotion is no different. So this devotion has several features or several different, um, you know, elements to it. One of them is veneration of the image of Divine Mercy itself. And we'll talk in a moment about what that image looks like. Um, but this image, you know, Jesus wanted Faustina to have this image painted and then to be venerated by people. 
Um, and then we've already talked about the Feast of Divine Mercy, which is now well established thanks to St. John Paul II, so the, the first Sunday after Easter or the second Sunday of Easter. Um, then there's also a chaplet uh, to the Divine Mercy, and a lot of people today pray that either you know instead of the rosary or in addition to the rosary. It's, um, it's prayed on ordinary rosary beads. Um, it, it, it's a little bit simpler. It doesn't take as long to pray as the rosary, and it consists of fewer prayers, but you pray it on a regular rosary. And then the last, kind of the fourth and last of these particular devotions was the Lord wanted um, St. Faustina to remind the world that uh, three, 3 o'clock in the afternoon on every day could be dedicated as an hour of mercy because that's the hour at which our Lord died on the cross. And, right. and so along with these elements of the devotion, there are promises that are attached to them, as is often the case in our church, that you know, there's, we're told that if you, if you engage in these devotions, um, you can receive certain graces from, from God. Um, yeah, and then the, then the third and final task was um, beginning. St. Faustina was commissioned to kind of begin certain apostolic movements of divine mercy within the church, and these have taken now, many decades later, they've taken a variety of forms. So you have certain religious congregations that are actually founded, you know, for the propagation of divine mercy, but you also have institutes of lay people, you've got various lay associations, um, and then there are individual people that are just very much dedicated to this uh, divine mercy devotion, and, and they've kind of, you know, dedicated their lives to, to spreading the message. So, so anyway, this thing has really taken off within the Catholic Church. If I was just, if, if I miss the start date for the divine mercy novena, do I just skip it? I'm just like, well, yeah, it's a, I'm three days in and I kind of blew it. Um, or is there any value to, is it really, and I, I, I don't, I'm not saying that you're going to speak definitively for the church, Father, no. but you've got a very educated opinion. Um, is, is it, uh, if I started the Divine Mercy uh, Novena today, even though I've missed uh, three days of it, um, how, yeah. what would you say what to that? Well, I guess the thing that's popping into my head, and I should probably write this down because I have a feeling it's going to become a very uh, well-known proverb, is better late than never, you know? So I Did think you come up with that? I did. I just, it just came, I think it must be that's Jesus amazing. who just gave me this vision of better late than never. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously a novena is good to pray at any time. It's nice if we can um, coordinate it with a particular feast as we're doing with Divine Mercy Sunday. You know, another example recently was uh, March 19th was the Feast of St. Joseph. So often a novena is begun and ended on that feast. Or I'm thinking of uh, St. Francis Xavier, whose feast is December 3rd. There's a very popular novena that precedes that. So, yeah, if it's, if it's possible, it's nice to coordinate it so that the novena ends on the feast of the particular saint or, or the feast day. But um, if, like today, people are listening and they're like, oh, I've missed this novena. I have to wait a whole year now till Divine Mercy Sunday of next year. Yep, whole no. year. You know, you can pray, you can pray a, a novena at any time. And of course, the Lord lives outside of time and he's not bound by time. And he appreciates all of our efforts and desires to pray. So by all means... Um, do the novena anyway. Don't, don't, don't worry about the fact that you kind of didn't get it timed right. I think what's probably more to the case um, to starting a novena on Good Friday and ending it on a Divine Mercy Sunday is the collective aspect of it. 
that you're doing it with all of your other um, brothers and sisters within the Catholic that's a good faith, point. many of them. Right, right. And that's always has more power then doing it yourself on a different day is 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 not wrong right. and it's it's not bad but you know it, you don't celebrate christmas on uh, february 18th right you, you, we celebrate christmas together so that we can celebrate christmas together sure doing the novena together is is what gives us all strength right. knowing that there are other people that are praying these same words at the same time that we are. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, why don't we uh, just end with maybe a, a brief description of this Divine Mercy image for our listeners that maybe have not seen it. Um, sure. And uh, so I think I had mentioned that there are three images that have kind of official church approval, and, and the original one by this Eugene, I think it's Kazmierowski, something close to that anyway. Uh, they, they, they call it the Vilnius image because that was the first one and done in, in that city. Um, but basically, it's an image of the resurrected Jesus, so he's got pierced hands and feet, and of course, um, that reminds us all the time of God's great love for us in Christ. So that's an important detail. And then um, out of his heart, kind of uh, emanating from his heart, are two rays. Uh, one of them is red, and the other one is kind of pale. It's kind of a I don't know, beige or yellowish kind of a ray, and or white. Sometimes it's shown as as actually quite white. But these two rays are coming from you know his merciful heart, and uh, you know one of them uh, represents. Um, blood and the, and the Eucharist, that sacrament, and then the other one is more baptism and penance. And so we think about the lance being thrust into the, the, the side of the crucified Christ, and so the, these rays issue forth from the heart. And, um, and then at the bottom of the uh, image, the words, Jesus, I trust in you, are are put. And again, this is all instructed by Jesus in the vision that he gave to uh, St. Faustina. Um, So that's, in a nutshell, that's what the image looks like. And like I said, many parishes have it, if not framed and kind of permanently on the wall, they'll they'll bring it out in the form of a banner. Um, It's often... I know in St. Jerome's, where I help out almost every weekend, they have a perpetual adoration chapel, and they have a um, an image of this kept in, in that chapel. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's it's really it's quite beautiful and and uh, draws our attention to his heart, to his merciful heart, and it also reminds us that the sacraments are the really for us Catholics, they're the primary instruments right. of that mercy. And 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 the the whole point, if you're going to uh, distill uh, this entire thing down to one point, what would you say that was? Um, I think it's just that you know God uh, is mercy with a capital M, just as He's love with a capital L, and that that He desires to bathe every human being in His mercy, uh, a mercy That's that exactly washes right. away all sin and and makes us ready for heaven you know now obviously god doesn't coerce us we have to welcome this mercy we have to cooperate with it but it's offered to everyone and i think this is yeah the whole devotion is meant to remind us um you know that mercy is always available uh, should we choose to uh renounce sin and turn back to the lord no matter how horrible your life right 
Which none of our listeners fall into that category. No, sure. no, they're probably they're all saintly people. people. Right. Very, very devout people. Mm-hmm. But how horrible, I mean, there was one quote where it said, um, even if the most hardened of hearts was to pray one chaplet, mm-hmm. that would that would be sufficient mm-hmm. to receive my grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the promises associated with this devotion are quite stunning, actually, and quite, yeah, just very generous. And in the time, and like, we're, we're coming out of a pandemic, but nobody's saying that this pandemic thing is going to be over in the next few years, and it's all crazy in a time of, of where people are really losing hope mm-hmm. and have lost hope, and people who have killed themselves because of lack of hope. Mm-hmm. This is the most hopeful uh, uh, novena and day of the year. This, there's, this is the. I don't know. I mean, Easter's probably number one. Yeah. But this is really good. Number two. Well, it is, and the fact that it follows, it's the Sunday right after Easter. I think that's not uh, accidental. You know, so that wasn't a coincidence. It wasn't uh, the only open one. I in don't calendar. believe in coincidences anymore. <laughs> <laughs> What's kind of neat too is just in recent years, uh, a few years ago. The church made this um, this uh, liturgical. It's an op- They call it an optional memorial. But now, um, her she's been added as of 2020. Actually, in May of of last year, not even a year ago, she was added to the general Roman calendar. So now, everywhere around the world, wherever Mass is celebrated, um, when her uh, day, uh, October 5th, comes around, uh, you know, priests can offer that mass with her uh being remembered so that's that's pretty cool it is cool it's it's so profound and Mm -hmm. it's just this 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 beautiful soul that came from absolute humble beginnings with no education and had probably no intentions of having this great of an impact on the world yep no that's very true Mm -hmm. i bet she's yeah rejoicing from heaven as she looks down and sees how quickly, really, and how widely this devotion has spread. Yeah, it's amazing. Tis. Father, <laughs> please uh, uh, pray for us this uh, um, uh, first podcast of the Easter season. All right, let's do it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. So, Jesus, we praise you and bless you for your resurrection and for the life and salvation that you give us through your passion, death, and resurrection. We ask that we might be uh, open to the mercy that you extend to us, that we might welcome that mercy, especially in the confessional, as we humbly confess our sins and welcome the grace of conversion. Help us, like St. Faustina, to be apostles or secretaries of mercy, uh, loving our neighbor and forgiving those who have harmed us. And we ask all these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. Pray for us. Pray for us. All right. You're welcome, Jim. Thank you. Thanks for listening, folks. I hope your Easter is a a glorious uh, one. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes. He has risen. He is risen. Bye-bye, Take care, folks. We'll see you next week. God bless you.